So, uh, could this be considered the best week in Orioles history? Maybe. Either way, the Orioles have their ace, Corbin Burns, a Cy Young winner, one of the best starters in all of Major League Baseball, a true number one, will be a Baltimore Oriole in 2024 and maybe even beyond. We'll break down what it all means for the O's coming up on this live emergency Corbin Burns trade episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on this live breaking news emergency episode, the Orioles have their ace. We thought this week couldn't get any better for the Orioles. John Angelos deciding to sell earlier in the week. David Rubenstein, the local billionaire, buying the team. Seems like he's going to take over as the control person at some point in 2024. And we're already thinking... What could happen next offseason, right? When Rubenstein finally gets the reins, the O's will get their ace. All will be great. This team will go to a World Series. But what I thought, what many of us thought is, nothing's going to probably happen this offseason. I mean, Angelos is still in control and, you know, it's going to take some time. It took less than two days for the Orioles to acquire Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. The final trade, I believe, was first broken by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that the Orioles were working towards a deal for Corbin Burns. And Jeff Passan, along with Kylie McDaniel, had the final deal. Corbin Burns goes to the Orioles and going the other way is left-handed pitcher D.L. Hall, shortstop prospect Joey Ortiz, and a competitive balance draft pick, which is the 34th overall selection in the 2024 MLB draft. Yes, you can now trade some draft picks in Major League Baseball. But let's just start with the Corbin Burns side of it. We'll get to, you know, what this means for the O's, how this looks at the roster, how good can the O's be, and what it means for what they gave up. But let's start with Corbin Burns because we came into this offseason saying the number one need for the Baltimore Orioles is a bona fide ace, a stud legit number one. And that was nothing against what Kyle Bradish did last year. You know, if you've been watching this show and listen to this podcast, I have been maybe the number one Kyle Bradish supporter since he came over in the Dylan Bundy trade from the Angels. I know how good he can be. I know he finished fourth in AL Cy Young voting this year. I know that he could win a Cy Young at some point in his career. But he's not Corbin Burns, who already won a Cy Young in 2021, and every single year basically gets votes like that. And here's the thing. This is nothing against Grayson Rodriguez. He could be the future number one of this team, depending how long Corbin Burns sticks around. He's got incredible stuff and an incredible future, but he's not Corbin Burns. The Orioles have acquired 29-year-old right-handed pitcher Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're not familiar with Corbin Burns, it's time to get familiar. This is undoubtedly one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. The best way to describe it is Corbin Burns in 2023 basically had the worst season of his career. And when you hear that, you're going to say, 
Well, Connor, why would you be so excited about a guy coming off the worst season of his career? He had a 3.39 ERA in a fully healthy 32-start, 194-innings pitch season. A 3.39 ERA was clearly the worst season of his career. That is how good Corbin Burns has been. Last year, his full stats, 32 starts, 193 and two-thirds innings, and a 3.39 ERA with a 3.81 FIP for Corbin Burns. 26% strikeout rate above league average. His 8% walk rate was right around league average. And those two were on the worst side for Burns as well. Now, you could say, oh, are you worried he's going to get even worse? Not really. He's still in the prime years of his career at age 29. And when you look back at what Corbin Burns did before that, he is, again, one of the best arms in Major League Baseball. Let's go back to when he broke onto the scene, really, was in the 2020 shortened season. 60 innings that year was a starter in the Brewers rotation, posted a 2.11 ERA that year with a 37% strikeout rate. It was absurd. Now, again, it was only nine starts, right? And it was the 2020 season. It was all shortened sample size. People said, this guy looks great. You know, at 25, he breaks out of the scene. He first got to the big leagues in 2018 and really pitched as a reliever full-time for the Brewers. So he became a starter and people thought, hey, this guy's pretty good, but let's see what he can do in a full season. Well, he came back in 2021 for his first full season as a starter and legitimately won the National League Cy Young Award. Like, he couldn't have done more to prove to people how good he truly was. That 2021 season, now he only made 28 starts, and he only threw 167 innings, but those are some of the best 167 innings that baseball has ever seen. He had a 2.43 ERA with a 1.63 FIP. FIP is fielding independent pitching. It's more of a predictive stat that shows more of what the pitcher can control. So it takes out, you know, what the defense really adds to or subtracts from your ERA and just looks at strikeouts and walks and home runs that you're giving up, 1.63 is ridiculous. What that basically means is Corbin Burns had a 2.43 ERA in 2021 when he won the Cy Young, and that stat shows he was actually unlucky. His ERA should have been lower. That's how good he was. He followed up in 2022 with what some might say is actually his best season because he was one of the most durable pitchers in the league while also being one of the best. In 2022, he made 33 starts through 202 innings and still posted a 2.94 ERA and still had a 31% strikeout rate. He was an elite strikeout pitcher while being an innings eater. Those are very rare combinations to have in a pitcher. And yes, he threw a little bit less innings and a little higher ERA and a few less strikeouts and a few more walks this year. It doesn't really concern me too much. And when you think about the fact that over the last two years, Corbin Burns has been hurt a little bit by the home run. Now he goes to a park where lefties still hit a lot of homers, but righties really don't. And Corbin Burns already has a good time against right-handers. This is a match made in heaven for Corbin Burns and the Orioles. And again, all respect to Kyle Bradish and all respect to Grayson Rodriguez. Most likely, this is the Orioles' opening day starter. This is a true number one. This is a true ace. This is an all-star. This is a Cy Young winner. This is what we were talking about when we said the Orioles need to go get an ace. The Orioles have a good rotation. They need to make it great. This is the move 
that makes it great. You get a three-time All-Star, guy who got MVP votes in that 2021 season, last three years, all of his full seasons. He's been an All-Star in the big leagues. He's ridiculous. And again, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like, he's not coming off his best season, but that's kind of the point here. A 3390 ERA in almost 200 innings is his worst career season, and he's still 29. The stuff, the stuff's ridiculous. The stuff is nasty. And the cool part is, a lot of what Kyle Bradish has talked about, what's kind of turned him around, what's made him so good, is modeling some things after Corbin Burns. They both have a natural cut to their fastball. They both have elite breaking balls. And Kyle Bradish, remember in 2022, he switched sides of the rubber, which led to him pitching a lot better. It's the same thing Corbin Burns did a couple years ago to start trying kickstart really him turning the other direction and turning into a Cy Young level pitcher. And it's not just the surface numbers that are great. It's the underlying numbers. Just go to Corbin Burns' Baseball Savant page, and you'll see more red than you see on basically anybody's page. And what's really cool about Burns is, although he gets a lot of strikeouts, and he is known to give up a home run from time to time, he is still elite at stopping hard contact. Guys don't square him up that often. His hard hit percentage of 32.4% was in the top 10% of baseball last year. Average exit velocity, 86.4 miles per hour. One of the best numbers among starters last year as well. Barrel percentage is super low against him. And the arsenal, the arsenal is just insane with what Burns throws out there. Now, the number one pitch is the cutter. This is probably a top, 15 to 20 pitch in all of baseball is the Corbin Burns cutter. It, for my money, is the best cutter in the majors. And he throws it a lot. He throws it about 94, 95 miles an hour. It is by far his most used pitch. He used the cutter 55% of the time last year. That is the go-to. Throws it to righties, throws it to lefties equally. It works the same on both of them. Opponents hit just 209 on that pitch, slug just 340 with a 23% whiff percentage, it is elite. But it's not really the swing and miss pitch. I talked about how he gets a lot of soft contact. A lot of that soft contact is on that cutter. He'll jam the lefties in with the cutter, just like Mariano Rivera used to do, and then he'll get the righties to hit it off the end of the bat, and it's a lot of slow grounders that come off the bat of hitters against Corbin Burns. But then you look at the rest of the stuff, and because he throws the cutter more than 50% of the time, you're like, oh, this is his elite pitch. You look at the other stuff and you realize, wait, he's got other great stuff. Maybe not other elite, elite stuff, but other great stuff that he can play off the cutter. The number two pitch is the curveball. It's one of the nastiest pitches I've ever seen. He just doesn't throw it as much as some guys do. But the curveball, he throws about 17% of the time. Opponents hit 133 against the curveball last year with a 211 slugging percentage and a 49% whiff rate. That whiff rate is like near the level of Felix Bautista's splitter. That's how good that curveball is. And again, he throws it to righties and lefties pretty evenly. Nobody can touch it. He's got a really sneaky good changeup. You know, the Orioles love working with a changeup. Throws it about 11% of the time. Opponents hit 204 against that thing with a 31% whiff rate. And oh yeah, despite the fact that he has a cutter, he also has a bigger, more natural slider. You know, the cutter's at 94. The slider's at 86. It's got more movement. No, he doesn't throw it much, 9% of the time. 44% whiff rate, 159 batting average against it, and he does have a sinker that he'll toss in here and there, you know, just to get some ground balls. 
it is a ridiculous repertoire for Corbin Burns. It's truly, it's the best cutter in baseball. It's an elite curveball, and I think the O's might ask him to throw it even more. That is how good that pitch is. They got their ace. They got it. Now, the thing is, right now, they've only got him for one year. And that's what I want to get to next. Why the trade was what it was. Because you look at the return, D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and a draft pick, and you think, is that really enough to get a bona fide ace, a top five, top ten pitcher in baseball? The team control has something to do with that. We'll talk about what the O's gave up. We'll talk about the one year left on Burns. We'll talk about maybe the O's give out some money to Corbin Burns now that they got some new ownership as well. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, I've been kind of sad about the Super Bowl this week because what happened to the Ravens? I don't even care what happened to the Ravens anymore after this Orioles week we're having. Let's go. Let's get excited for the Super Bowl. Happy Super Bowl week to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some Super bets. I, I do love the prop bets, the silly ones on Super Bowl Sunday. And FanDuel has found so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three, just like the Orioles right now, catching a lot of W's. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers can join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So what happened? The Orioles went out and got the ace. They got the ace they needed. And quite frankly, to get Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers in this trade, they didn't have to give up a whole lot. Again, the full trade, D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and the 34th overall pick in the 2024 draft heading to the Brewers for Corbin Burns. And again, you might say, that's not a lot to give up for an ace. Well, one of the reasons why it was so cheap is that years of control are a huge thing in trades, especially in Major League Baseball. And Corbin Burns only has that one year of control left. He is due to become a free agent after the 2024 season. And this is important when you talk about the context of this deal, because this is one of the reasons why the Brewers were willing to trade Corbin Burns. They lost Craig Council. They're operating like a small market team. They were back and forth all off season of the Brewers are trading Burns. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they are. They definitely aren't. Well, we're here on February 1st and they dealt him to Baltimore. And one of the reasons why they were looking at trading him is Corbin Burns was not interested in an extension with the Brewers. And it wasn't as much because, oh, you know, Corbin Burns doesn't want an extension at all. You know, it's not even worth it. And it's not because he has Scott Boris, because he doesn't. He's a client of CAA as his agent, not Scott Boris. The part was, Corbin Burns and the Brewers have had some contentious fights in arbitration over the past few years. I've talked about the arbitration process here on this podcast where, you know, if you can't agree to a number for the player for that following season, that... They will basically go to a third party arbiter and 
the two sides, the team and the player, will fight it out essentially in makeshift court, and the team will really break down the player. And Corbin Burns has been very public, very vocal about what happened between him and the Brewers, that he felt disrespected by the organization, and that that played into the fact that he just wasn't going to sign an extension there. So, yeah, the Brewers could have kept him around and competed in 2024, and I would have liked for them to do that if I were a Brewers fan, but they decided, hey, we're not going to be a World Series team this year. He's not coming back. Let's get something for him. But it feels like they probably didn't get enough for him. But that's an important part here. But And we'll get to this as we continue through the offseason and we learn more and more about the sale of the Orioles from John Angelos to David Rubenstein and hopefully an influx of cash and much more spending. Because if this trade happened and we had no sale coming up and we just thought, well, John Angelos is the owner for whoever knows how long, we're not even talking about the possibility of an extension. We're just talking about one year of Corbett Burns. But with Rubenstein there, looking to invest more money, hopefully, in the team, that extension is possible. Now, I have no idea what a Corbin Burns extension might look like. And again, that'll be for further episodes this offseason. But it's not just a rental. The extension is on the table. And that's a huge part of this as well. Because if you only give up what they gave up and you extend Burns, this is an absolute fleece by the Baltimore Orioles. So let's talk about what they gave up. Again, D.L. Hall... Joey Ortiz, and the 34th pick. Let's start with the draft pick, because this is fairly new in Major League Baseball. I believe only the last couple of years you have been able to trade draft picks, and the Orioles actually acquired a draft pick in a trade two years ago when they sent Tanner Scott and Cole Sulser to the Miami Marlins. They got a couple of players, and they got a competitive balance pick, which they turned into Judd Fabian, who's been a pretty good prospect, got to A last year, a top 15 guy in the O system. That is what they did there. Now, the Orioles gave up a competitive balance pick, which was going to be pick number 34 in the upcoming 2024 MLB draft. That's a pretty good pick. That's basically a glorified first-round pick. I mean, the first round has 30 picks. Pick number 34, that's a pretty good spot. But the Orioles had three picks in the top 34. They had the 22nd overall pick because they were set to pick 24th because of how well they did this year, but they moved up two spots because of some luxury tax situations with the Yankees and Padres. They moved down in the draft. Then the O's were set to pick 32nd because the 32nd pick was the draft pick they were awarded via the new competitive balance and roster rules, which meant that Gunnar Henderson was on the roster the entire year and won AL Rookie of the Year. So the Orioles were awarded with the 32nd pick. The 34th pick, the one they traded, was their competitive balance pick. The Orioles have gotten a competitive balance pick in the draft basically every year since 2012. And... The way that these picks work is essentially the 10 lowest revenue clubs from the 10 smallest markets are eligible for these picks. And sadly, the Orioles have fallen into that category every year. So they get a pick every year. And that was going to be number 34. But if you think about it right here, like, yes, Mike Elias loves the draft. He has killed the draft. He's been incredible there. I think it's the best thing he's done for the Orioles is what he's done in the draft. And you know how much he loves draft picks, how much he capitalizes on draft picks. And you know he would have probably capitalized on the 34th pick in the draft. And this also takes away from the Orioles' bonus pool. But if you think about it this way, two months ago, the Orioles didn't even have this pick, right? Three months ago, the O's didn't have this pick. Now, it's not the exact Gunnar Henderson pick, but the Gunnar Henderson Rookie of the Year pick is 32nd. This pick is 34th. Let's basically call them the same thing. They acquired the Gunnar Henderson pick for playing him all year and him playing well, and they immediately turned it into helping them get Corbin Burns. That is how you use the rule book right there. So I'm not even mad about losing the pick because three months ago, the O's didn't even have the pick. It didn't even exist in their world. 
Now let's talk about the players. I want to start with Joey Ortiz. Joey Ortiz is a great prospect. He is an elite defensive shortstop. He is a consensus top 10 prospect in the Orioles system, ranked as high as sixth on some lists. And even in some top 100 lists, he's shown up in, you know, the 80s and the 90s as, you know, there's a debate whether or not he's a true top 100 prospect, but many people think he is in baseball. That is a really, really good player. Joey Ortiz also has his flaws. Despite the elite defense and the bat-to-ball skills, he got 34 plate appearances in the big leagues last year. It, it wasn't very good. You know, he didn't really flash much power and... You know, the hit tool didn't look as good as it did in AAA, but you also look at the AAA numbers, and last year in AAA, almost 400 plate appearances, he hit 321 with a 121 WRC+. 2022, in AAA, and 115 plate appearances, hit 346 with a 154 WRC+. He's shown the bat can play in AAA. That is why he has risen to the level he has. And his strikeout rate's fairly low. In the minor leagues, not super low, but not terrible. And his walk rate's not bad either. But the ability to elevate the ball, he's got good batted ball skills in terms of the exit velocities, but don't think he was going to be a home run power guy. And this is not to break down Joey Ortiz. I think he was going to be a good player, but there were still definitely questions about Ortiz's bat and how it would play at the big league level. And for the Orioles... I just didn't see a future where Joey Ortiz became an everyday player. I just, I never saw it. And if you listen to this pod throughout the offseason, I've said it multiple times. I love Joey Ortiz, right? I saw Joey Ortiz play. I can pretty much guarantee this before anybody listening here did. When I was a broadcaster for the 2017 Baltimore Dodgers, a collegiate Woodbat summer league in the Cal Ripken League, a rising sophomore from New Mexico State named Joey Ortiz was the starting second baseman on that team. And I looked at this guy and I said, if he can hit, he's going to be good because this is the best defensive infielder I have ever seen on a baseball field. Well, he figured out how to hit too at New Mexico State and in the O system, and that's why he's where he is now. But look at the O's infield. Just at shortstop, you have Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday. You are getting those two on the field once Jackson gets to the big leagues pretty much every single day at probably either short and second with Gunner at short and Jackson at second, or short and third with Gunner at third and Jackson at shortstop. Yeah, maybe there's space for Joey Ortiz there, but you still got to factor in that Jordan Westberg is here and is playing a big role. Still got to factor in that, hey, Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo are still on this roster. And oh yeah, you still also have Kobe Mayo, who's a bigger prospect than Ortiz and could play third. And you still have Connor Norby in AAA knocking on the door trying to get to the big leagues. So could Joey Ortiz been better than a lot of those guys? He could have. And I think Ortiz could have this year, if they wanted to trade Ramon Arias, could have perfectly replaced Arias's role. He can play short, second, third, great defense, gives you a good right-handed bat, like a nice bench player. But if you're trying to win the World Series right now, which I think the O's should be, and you can trade away a guy who's a good prospect, but would at most be a, a solid bench player for you, I don't think you're giving up much. So it's a solid bench player. It's a draft pick you didn't have three months ago. And then it's the one to me personally that hurts the most, and that is D.L. Hall. I love Corbin Burns. I am so excited to have Corbin Burns on this team. But I will say, the only downside of this trade to me is that we won't get to see D.L. Hall finally have that full, healthy, flourishing season in Orioles uniform. Now, we don't know, right, if D.L. Hall will ever do that, if we'll ever even do it in a Brewers uniform. 
but we just never got to see it. He was trying to be a starter. He was a first-round pick. The injuries piled up. They moved him to the bullpen. The injuries still piled up last year. But the flashes we saw at the end of 2022 and the end of 2023 from D.L. Hall were honestly spectacular. Like, he was one of the Orioles' best relievers down the stretch last year. Ended up pitching 19 to third innings out of the Orioles' bullpen in September. Had a 3.26 ERA. I mean, the strikeout rate of 28%, the walk rate of 6%. The walk rate was below league average. He was incredible. All those command issues seemed to go away in 2023 once the back injury for Hall got healthy. And Michael Elias kept saying, hey, we're going to give him a shot to still be a starter in spring, spring training 2024. And I believed that from Michael Elias. I thought truly that could really happen. And he was going to mix in for potentially that number five starter spot, of course, if the O's didn't go get an ace type like Corbin Burns. Now, when you get Corbin Burns, D.L. Hall's not being a starter. So that takes him out of there. So you're essentially giving up a big league reliever. And could D.L. Hall be Josh Hader one day? I think he could. And maybe the Brewers have replaced Josh Hader who they traded away two years ago. Like, D.L. Hall could certainly be that for Milwaukee. And, you know, they're going to lose Willie Adamas, their shortstop after this year. They've got an easy replacement in Joey Ortiz. D.L. Hall, at worst, is a great reliever. And the Brewers still could turn D.L. Hall into a good starting pitcher. They've been great over the years with pitcher development, and I trust what they're going to do with D.L. Hall. He could be nasty. But at this point, Hall's days were numbered to try and be a starter in Baltimore, and I love D.L. Hall, and I was incredibly excited to see what he can do in a full season, and this is going to sting a little bit. Like, I've been a big believer of D.L. Hall since day one. I kept calling for the just get him up in this bullpen, see what he can do, and he might be a really, really good reliever for the Brewers, but if you're giving up, but he it might have even been the Orioles' closer at times this year, except for the fact that they got Craig Kimbrell. So I love D.L. Hall. And I think he could be great. And listen, you get, you know, five plus years now, right, of, of D.L. Hall. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. You get like six years of Joey Ortiz and you get a draft pick that you can turn into something. Like it's not a terrible trade for the Brewers, but from the Orioles side, a draft pick he didn't have three months ago, a player who is going to be at best a bench guy for you this year, and at best a setup man. That seems like pretty good for even just one year of a legitimate ace starting pitcher. And that is what the O's did with Corbin Burns. But just a little bit more to get to here on the pod to finish off what has been just an unbelievable week in Birdland. Like, are you kidding me? This is incredible. We'll talk about the O's roster now with Corbin Burns, without Hall, without Ortiz, what the 40-man looks like, what the active roster looks like, what the rotation and bullpen, what all the fallout from this move could be. That's coming up next to finish off the pod. So the Orioles did it. They did it. They made the move. And I know that John Angelos is still in control, right? Like the Rubenstein news just broke. It hasn't been approved by the owners in Major League Baseball. Angelos is still the owner. But like, it can't be a coincidence that less than 48 hours after the news breaks that the Orioles are selling the team to Rubenstein and after doing nothing under John Angelos, that they make this big a deal to get this good a pitcher in Corbin Burns. Like that doesn't feel like a coincidence at all to me right now. But Corbin Burns is an Oriole. Again, the 2021 Cy Young winner is going to be pitching in an Oriole uniform. On opening day, you're going to go to the yard. The Angels are going to be in town. And Corbin Burns is going to be wearing an Orioles uniform. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what number he wears. Number 39 in Milwaukee. That's Kyle Bradish's number, who's kind of modeled his game after Corbin Burns. This could be a really kind of fun scenario between Bradish and Burns, but I think that's the least of our worries right now that you got Corbin Burns. The real question between Burns and Bradish is, okay, how does this Orioles 
rotation stack up now that they've got a true ace. And they may not be done. You know, we talked about them being linked to guys like Hunjin Ryu and Michael Lorenzen and other more like one-year type, more veteran, short-term, stopgap starting pitchers. It could still happen. Like, they could still sign a guy like Michael Lorenzen. I talked on Monday's episode about how the Orioles were linked to Lorenzen, and I said Lorenzen would be a perfect fit if the O's got an ace-type starter because what they would do, they would put the ace at the top, now seems to be Corbin Burns, and you'd slot in Lorenzen as kind of the number five slash long reliever guy because Lorenzen is pitched out of the bullpen as well, and you would basically tag team him with Cole Irvin and as well with Tyler Wells, and you'd have a really good look at your number five spot. And even if you put in the fact that, you know, there's questions about John Means. Now, John Means was great before Tommy John, and honestly, he was pretty good in the four starts in September last year when he came back from Tommy John. But remember, he also had elbow soreness that shut him back down and didn't allow him to pitch in the postseason. So, with Corbin Burns at the top, you now have a rotation that looks like this. Corbin Burns is your number one. And Kyle Bradish is kind of a 1A. That's how good I think he can be. He's your number two. And Grayson Rodriguez is your number three. If Grayson Rodriguez pitches for a season like he did in the second half last year, and Kyle Bradish is the guy that I think he is, the Orioles have one of the best top threes in baseball, in Burns, Bradish, and Rodriguez. That is insane to say. Who would have thought we would be saying the Orioles have one of the best top threes in baseball? But that's what you can do when you go get an ace. There were so many people who said, why get an ace? They have one in Bradish. Just go get a number five starter. Sure up the rotation. But when you get an ace and you maybe have three guys that could be aces, that's incredible. Then your number four is John Means, and your number five is Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer, not the flashiest, not the most amazing pitcher, but just a really, really good number five starter, like a really, really good number five starter. And John Means, he's a wild card, right? We don't quite know what he's going to be in his first full year back from Tommy John, but if he's anything close to what he was before the injury, well, that's a great number four. And here's the best part. Yes, you have questions, right, about Means. You even have questions about Kramer because it can get shaky at times for Dean Kramer. You know, he's kind of a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. The depth you have behind them is makes you feel great because, yes, you know, Cole Irvin's not the best pitcher, but if you have Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin behind those two as the other two guys that are in this rotation, you have good depth. And I honestly wouldn't be mad if they still signed Michael Lorenzen because he can be a reliever, as Ken Wells, as Ken Irvin, but also step in to start. Just feel how different this Orioles pitching staff is now that you have a legit five starters, like legit, and you still have Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin as your starting depth. That is a really, really good spot to be in. And then maybe at some point in the season, if you need a Chase McDermott, if you need a Kate Povich, they're there for you, right? And you still even have a guy like Bruce Zimmerman who, yeah, is not the flashiest, but he's still in your 40-man, and he provides you some value as well. You just feel so much better. And they might not be done. Again, they could still sign a guy like Lorenzen. And the other thing is the bullpen, because, you know, D.L. Hall had a spot in that pen. He loses that spot. I don't know if it opens up to another lefty. This probably gives a better chance to a Keegan Aiken or to a Nick Vespi or to a Tucker Davidson to make the team as a left-hander. It also gives a better chance to... Maybe a Mike Bauman, you know, potentially a healthy Dylan Tate now has an easier spot just locking back down that role in the bullpen. But the thing is, the Orioles have reliever depth to fill in for D.L. Hall. 
they did not have the depth to make up for what their starting rotation looked like before Corbin Burns. And yes, the bullpen got a little bit worse. But here's the thing. It also added Tyler Wells. And I think they'll probably need Wells to start this year. But if you tell Wells, hey, you're going to be pretty much a full-time reliever, we've seen how good he was doing that in 2021. And we saw how good he was when he returned to the bullpen in September of last year. I'm loving that. And, you know, probably a good day for, again, I said, Keegan Aiken and Mike Bauman and Jacob Webb and Dylan Tate and Nick Vespi. They're feeling a little bit better about their chances to make it into the pen. And the O's may not be done. It might not be Michael Lorenzen. Maybe it's a Ryan Brazier type kind of pitcher who, you know, they, they bring in on a one-year deal to get another veteran in the pen to fill in for D.L. Hall. It could be something like that. But either way, this pitching staff is on a different level. And again, Burns, Bradish, Rodriguez means Kramer. That stacks up there. With most rotations in baseball, that's the difference a true number one can make. That you feel really good about that rotation. You go into the ALDS next year, and you're throwing Burns, Bradish, Rodriguez? Who's topping that? Not a lot of teams are topping that. That is the new Orioles. They've got a playoff rotation that I don't think anybody's beating. And that might be the best part here. In terms of the roster... The 40-man was at 39 players. You take off Hall and Ortiz, who are both on the 30-man. That goes down to 37. Of course, you add Burns' spot, picks it back up to 38. So still, currently two open 40-man spots. You hope one is for Jackson Holiday, And there's probably a couple guys that will clear off. But there's still space to do some, some things. And even though I feel really good about what the staff looks like right now, I wouldn't mind another, you know, swingman type pitcher like a Lorenzen. I wouldn't mind another legitimate reliever like Ryan Brazier. Let's do it. Let's keep adding. And it, those guys will be cheap, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve million dollars for one year. Let's do it. But they got Corbin Burns. And here's the best part of this for me. Corbin Burns in arbitration, it's his final year again before free agency, and we hope he gets the extension, but he will cost the Orioles, it's it's just shy of $16 million for 2024, what he's going to cost. Now, that's going to be the most expensive player on the Orioles roster. But David Rubenstein's taken over this team, so you know what? We don't have to care about that anymore. $16 million, who cares? Let's run it and go win a World Series. And $16 million for Corbin Burns, that's a pretty good deal. They got the ace. They really got him. I, I, I was turning the other direction. I had said most of the offseason, the O's are going to get a starting pitcher, no doubt about it. And then we kept getting deeper and deeper, and we heard the quotes from Elias, and I just thought, maybe they won't get a pitcher. Maybe they'll roll in with you know these guys they've got and hope it works out. They got Corbin freaking Burns. They got Corbin freaking Burns for not that much. And with the new ownership, they could extend Corbin freaking Burns in an Oriole uniform. Hopefully he grows the hair back out, has that cutter humming at Camden Yards. And right now, for my money, the Orioles, with Corbin Burns, are the favorites in the American League. I'll stand on that right now. Orioles, AL favorites with Corbin Burns. What a week in Birdland. Can it get better? Can it get better? That'll do it for tonight's live episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will have plenty, plenty, plenty more Corbin Burns Orioles coverage. If they do something crazy again tomorrow, I mean, maybe this week will get better. Maybe Dylan Cease is coming in tomorrow and they continue to add to this team. I'll have it covered. But if not, 
Again, I'll be back Monday. We'll try to do the mailbag. Send in your questions, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who tuned in on YouTube tonight. Make sure to hit that like button, leave a comment, hit the subscribe button on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page, and maybe, hey, put a mailbag question in the comments as well. We'll get back to it on Monday as we continue to break down the Orioles' biggest addition in a long, long time. This could turn out to be the best Orioles trade since they got Adam Jones, Chris Tillman, and company for Eric Bedard. Honestly, this could be better if it ends with a ring and a big trophy in Baltimore. That'll do it for today's episode. Again, we're back on Monday talking more Corbin Burns. He's in an O's uniform. Start ordering the jerseys now. But until then, this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, your team with Corbin Burns, a true ace. And yeah.